Welcome to the Inspiring Leadership podcast series. This is aimed for you aspiring leaders, whatever level you're at, whether you're beginning out in your careers as managers and leaders, whether you're in middle ranking roles, or whether you're CEOs and chairman of boards, there's always something we can all learn. And it's particularly the skills, stories, tips and techniques that you can pass on to those you lead and your teams. Hello, I'm Jonathan Bowman-Perks and welcome back to my favourite time of the week. And for this week's Inspiring Leadership Series, I am delighted to have an old friend of mine, Darren Shukran. Darren and I have known each other for 15 years and he has been quite an inspiration to me. Now he's the group medical d- director of SKN and particularly the laser clinic side of that, which he's uh, an expert in. He's also a consultant dermatologist at the NHS James Cook Hospital in Teesside. Darren, welcome to the series. Great to have you on. Thank you. <laughs> so let's let's go firstly into um, what, what you're doing at the moment, and then we'll perhaps jump back to your early childhood and how it's shaped the leader you are today. So, so tell me what you're, you're doing at the moment and some of the work that you've, you've been doing. So, uh, so as you said, I'm a, a consultant dermatologist at the James Cook University Hospital in Teesside, which covers the areas between sort of we've got York to the south of us, we've got Newcastle to the north of us, and we're right in that middle area. Um, and so we cover a large population. Uh, it was very uh, a deprived population at one point. So we had quite a lot of, uh, of different types of, of illnesses and so on that we, we cover. And as a dermatologist, we're seeing huge amounts of skin problems, uh, skin cancers, and different areas from that point of view. So basically, as a skin specialist on Teesside, that's where I started 20 years ago now here. But my subspecialty has been laser surgery. And in laser surgery, uh, one of the main things that we do is we deal with things like children who may have birthmarks from birth. So in effect, big red marks. You may see in a child with a red mark on one side of their face called a Port Weinstein. So technology has improved that we can now treat these uh, sort of birthmarks with a view to clearing them uh, as best as we can before a child gets to school, for instance. So that psychological impact that it used to have is much lessened. But like computers, lasers have uh, improving all the time. So there's other sorts of treatments that we can do that used to be the remit of surgery, but we can now do with lasers, which are less invasive, healing times faster. So to give you an example of that, it's things like acne scarring, burn scars, you know, scars due to road traffic accidents, um, people with just uh, red areas on their faces or uh, people with deformities of noses. There's all sorts of things that can be done. And so it's an exciting field to be in as our yeah. you know, technology improves. And it's lovely that the passion you have for the, the work you do. And, and let's perhaps go back when we were chatting and um, uh, we, I went out some years ago to Trinidad and Tobago, which is where you originally came from. And, and thanks to you, we had a nice holiday out there. Um, and love love the place and the people. Uh, just take us back to your early childhood, and and I, I seem to remember you saying when you were five, you thought I'm going to become a doctor. So, so tell us the story. One or two of the people who 
who've influenced you to become the leader you are today? Well, it was kind of interesting because I, I was actually born in England, in London. And uh, my father, my parents were from Trinidad. And you hear about a lot of uh, people who came over from the West Indies and thought, oh, we'd like to go back to the Caribbean, but never do. However, my father really hated winter. And so at the age of eight, uh, he, had, he was a lawyer, finished his, his training here, and we did go to Trinidad. So I, I left here and ended up in, in Trinidad from the age of eight to 18, which you can imagine is a really important time of life in terms of going to school and growing up. Um, the idea of becoming a doctor, yeah, it, it's interesting. I remember having uh, tonsillitis at the age of uh, a relatively young age, and um, you'd think that would, might put you off for life, but somehow that kind of introduced me to, to medicine and that side of it. And from that point in time, I became something that I was always interested in doing. Mm. And who, who was it that sort of shaped the kind of leader you are today? What, what moments in your life journey have shaped you? Um, you know, it's interesting. You look at different stages of life. So there's, there's no question that my parents were instrumental in this. You know, I, I kind of watched my, my dad as a very uh, calm, uh, clear thinker in a way. He worked in, in the legal side of banking and we had a, a way with people. And that was the thing that I really enjoyed. I, you know, whether it didn't matter who he was dealing with, there was a sort of ease of that that I appreciated. Uh, my mom was, uh, she was a dress designer, used to design wedding dresses and things like that, and actually had her own, own uh, boutique in Trinidad, a very creative side of things. Um, and again, from her came that point of, you know, don't be afraid to try something. You know, don't, don't let anybody tell you you can't do something. You know, we all want as parents to instill that in our children, but there was something very clear about that to me in terms of what was going on. I think following that, you know, uh, when we moved to Trinidad, there was a, a doctor who lived next door to me as a neighbor. And this guy's name was Richard Keeler. Now he was a, he came over uh, to Trinidad to work in leprosy. And not only that, he worked as, uh, as a missionary in Trinidad and Caribbean. And what really, uh, stood out to me was, yes, he was a doctor, but there was a much bigger picture of this. His, his faith as, as a Christian and uh, looking at the bigger picture was what drove him and gave him a purpose. And, you know, we ended up in, you know, I ended up going to Sunday school in that church and grew up in, in that area. And that definitely had a, an idea that, yes, there was medicine, but also there was a bigger purpose to what this was all about. And, and that did, you know, had an impact. And then I guess the final thing was, as you move forward, was, was my wife, you know, Linda and I, we, uh, we look back, you know, we were only 22 when we met, you know, at university and, and moving forward. But through all these different phases of life, you know, uh, again, that, that support and that, that kind of willingness to say, look, go out and take a chance, um, again, made quite a difference in being able to take some of the risks that I've done. Yeah, uh, like most people's partners, uh, Linda, I think, has been very 
very patient and very long suffering with with the, the crazy ideas that you have. We'll go and do this, and we'll go and do that, and she go really. <laughs> but um, if you met the younger Darren, and uh, you were to give him some advice, the the eighteen year old who was perhaps leaving Trinidad and Tobago and coming back, what bit of advice would you give him that that it serve other people as well? It's a bit of sound advice that you wish you'd known then. That in, in many ways, yeah, be, be positive. Have that sense that at 18, you know, you, you sometimes think you can conquer the world. You, you, you're going to go forward and, you know, you might have the support of your, your, your parents, friends, teachers telling you you can do anything. But be ready that something is going to come and literally from left field, it's going to surprise you. Something will go wrong. Something, there will be a hurdle that you may not have expected that's going to, you're going to come across. And the thing about that is not to be surprised by it. It's the nature of what life is about. It's what's going to happen to all of us. But be ready so that when it happens, and even if it takes you off your feet and you fall, just be ready to get back up, dust yourself off and move forward. Because it's when you have that first big disappointment or shock or something unfortunate happens. I think, you know, we know about this, but the difference between those who just can move forward are those who just will say, okay, didn't expect that, but I'm not going to let it completely take me out forever. Yeah, very, very wise bit of advice. I, I agree with that. And it's actually very stoical in its philosophy. I, I've been reading a lot of it and, and find a very influenced by it and this that you know things will go wrong life is difficult and life isn't fair get on with it um and, and don't bleat about it and expect someone to rescue you you know you've got to pick yourself up learn from it move on and what about to talk about learning from things what about some of your proudest moments and some of the darkest moments in your work or your life and what you learned from it and how it's shaped you um <laughs> Proudest moments, I think, you know, you, you can look at that in different ways, professionally, personally. In some ways, my proudest moments have been watching my children when, as they go forward and, and move forward in life. I guess every parent, you look at your children and think, look, you're trying to lay a foundation. In fact, you just want to see them do even better than you ever were able to do. And I think for me, seeing them get be able to express themselves and, and move forward again in, in the face of adversity. Uh, I find that that really uh, makes me feel proud. Just in terms on, of on that one, Darren, how, how many children have you got just to explain and, and what, what have you seen them achieve in their time so far? Uh, I've got four girls um, and uh, you know, we, we had, uh, we had our, our two, uh, older girls when we were relatively young uh, at the age of 25 and, and then we had a, a seven-year gap and, a, and, and our other two girls so it was having like almost like having two families uh, in some ways and uh, what, what I've learned from that was you would think that is your children you are, you've, you've you had a chance to get better at it as you get the young, younger two but the reality is Every one of your children is such an individual, such a character. Uh, and you, you think, how did four children grow up in the same household? And they all can be so different in many ways. Uh, I, I, I love that, that diversity and aspect of it. 
Yeah. And what about a, a dark moment and what you learned from that then? I think a dark moment was, again, uh, uh, I remember, uh, that was a story in itself, but I, I trained initially in general practice uh, because I came out of medical school and didn't really know what I wanted to do. I found many areas of medicine interesting. And I thought, well, okay, uh, I'll go into an area where I get a chance to do, do most things. Um, but after I finished my training, I had a real sense that, yes, I, I, I could see myself quite enjoying general practice, an incredibly important role. But I also began to realize that there was something about my personality that I felt I needed to be an expert in one area. Um, and as I could see the speed at which medicine was changing over the years, um, that it would be easier to be an expert in one area than be abreast of everything. So I decided instead of going into partnership in general practice at the end of four years that I would uh, decide to uh, aim to apply to dermatology. Now, dermatology is one of the most competitive specialties in medicine to get into, uh, partly because it's a relatively small specialty with only a limited number of places. And uh, I had taken a year where I was working in Canada um, when I was making this big decision. Do I, do I go into general practice or do I uh, specialize? And I flew. Now, remember, I was only, I think, 29 or 30 and you know, limited amounts of money. I flew all the way back to the UK to apply for, to go for an interview for a dermatology job. And this wasn't a proper training job. It was like a junior job just to get back into the field with a view to hopefully being able to apply for something more substantial. And I remember going, having flown in all the way from Canada, gone to this interview in Liverpool, and I didn't get the job. And I remember thinking, if I can't even get a junior job in dermatology, what chance do I ever have of being able to get a proper training position? And I remember walking back to the train station after the bad news and sitting there thinking, this is it, it you know, it, it's all over. But I went back up to a, a friend's house, a friend of mine called Pat Poyen. Pat was a, a great friend and support. And uh, she had been sort of getting my mail and things for me when I was in Canada. And we had all these letters from different departments, some being supportive, some saying, to be honest, because you did general practice, you got no chance of getting into dermatology. But just there, there was a, a BMJ, uh, so the British Medical Journal, it was open. And I looked at the, uh, the, uh, the ads in terms of jobs. And there was a job available for what we call a registrar position, which is a significant training position. Now, when I look back at it, it was an awful time. I had just flown back from Canada, spent a lot of money, didn't get the job. And then suddenly I saw this advertisement for a better job. And I thought, well, is there any point applying? You couldn't even get this basic one. What's the point of applying for that? But it was at that moment, again, uh, with the support, you know, when you look back, support of friends like Pat at that moment, my wife, my parents, and that kind of saying, look, you don't, you don't give it, just push forward and, and applied for that and cut a long story short, got that job. Now, that was the job that moved me forward to, to my position today. But when you look back at it, it would have been so easy at that moment in time to have just said, forget it, go and take a job in general practice 
and uh, and move on. And I'm not saying I wouldn't have been happy in general practice because there's many parts of me that I think would you know lend itself to being a good general practitioner. But um, but yeah, that that was quite a low moment. What a what a, gr- a great story, and also um, not giving up uh, and just taking another another chance. And and I think the thing that has stuck in my mind with you is you've taken quite a few risks during your life, you know, and uh, sometimes it's been difficult, but you've always managed to find a, a way out. Um, and also you're talking about when you were on one of the courses, how you actually cope well in a crisis uh, because you found that some people go A, B, C, D, and so you go from A to E. Tell us a bit more about, about that and risky and getting into trouble and stuff like that. Well, you, you know, sometimes you, you, you begin to understand a little bit of the way you work. And, and I was one of the people who kind of realized from a long time ago, I, I, I'll, I could get things done, but I was not the best time manager. You know, I, I, I would look at people around me and they're incredibly meticulous and organized. They would have, you know, whether it be a, a diary or whatever, and they would be very clear and work their way through to, to whatever was going on. And um, I remember I went on, you know, as consultants, we often go on these leadership courses and there were 20 people in a room and we, had, we did this sort of testing uh, of sorts. And there were 18 of the consultants at one extreme of, of, of this chart and there were two of us at the other. And basically what we're saying was, if you were given a task, how do you get from, from you know, the beginning to the end? And it was, uh, most people would say, okay, I'll work it through and they would have, X number of steps and work through, let's say, A to E and, and get the outcome. But what they said was, for the two of us, was you guys are the best for putting into a crisis scenario. You will get from A to E and you'll get there very quickly. But the difficulty for those around you is they can't quite work out how you got from A to E because you're not laying out the steps of B, C, D. For me, that was eye-opening because what I realized is that even though I wasn't what I thought was the best time manager, and I honestly, I had read every book there was on time management. You know, how do you do it? Do you lay out lists or whatever? It began to, I suddenly realized, yeah, I do get where I want to be, but it helps me to stop being so hard on myself. I thought, realize who you are. I am not going to be the best logical time manager, but I did understand my strength of getting outcomes. So one of the things from that was I suddenly stopped trying to read every area about time management and then realized what was the things that I needed to put in place? Because it's one thing getting an outcome, but you still, if you're leading, you've got to be able to bring those around you with you along the journey. So what I started realizing, having really good people around me, like my secretaries, you know, Samantha and Lisa are unbelievable at setting up uh, structures around me. So I will let us know where we're going. But by having that in place, it would also help those around me understand where we're going. And I think that's like an important area. If you can understand who you are, Yes, understand the weaknesses and the strengths, but don't, don't fight it too hard because there are times that I know no matter how hard I try, I could never become the most, most meticulous time manager with a system. But 
I also understand, yes, so there are certain areas I can do better and I will take some of the principles, but I'll also bring in those around me to make it better. Yeah, it, well, uh, I, last night, sometimes I find when I'm sort of awake in the early hours of the morning, I'll, I'll put on my headphones and listen to an audiobook. And I was re-listening to Atomic Habits by James Clear, which I recommend to everybody. Um, and he talks about setting up the right environment where you just cannot fail, but do a habit such as putting your running shoes right beside the bed. So you get out of bed and there your running shoes and your gym kit and you just put it on without having to think about it or making certain foods that you shouldn't be eating, not available. They're, you know, in the, they're in a back cupboard in the, in the back kitchen and you can't get to them easily. Whereas stuff that you want to be eating like the carrots and the hummus is sitting on the kitchen table along with fruit. Um, just, just great habits uh, and great tips that he does. Talking about habits, um, quick habits of a successful person, your bit on keeping healthy, a tip on money and uh, wealthy, and a bit of advice, wisdom. Um, well, physically, there's, there's no question that, that, I, that just, just being regular with exercise. The thing I find about exercise, and I, I, I can go through phases where, where I will work you know, really well, and I'll go for several months. And then something will, will happen where you stop. And then I can go for several months without doing something. So without a doubt, one of my weaknesses. But so the idea of just being consistent and doing a small amount regularly, rather than trying to, to do the big event like a marathon or something, it has been, is where I see the, the advantage yeah. of that. Money, really interesting area again. Um, one of the things I realized, you know, I think many people have an idea that as physicians, we earn well, and, and we do. But one of the things I, I realized a long time ago was that when you're working and you are, your time and skill is what you are earning from, you're quite vulnerable. It, you know, it, it doesn't take much in terms of, you know, for whatever reason, something could happen where you couldn't work or apply that level of expertise in your field and suddenly it can change quite dramatically. So I, I think, again, it was just reading from an early age, I, I began to realize what's this difference about passive income versus active income. So the idea of creating uh, investments that would potentially help you to uh, earn while you're not working as such was important. Now, Many of us, when we're in our 20s and 30s, we don't have the ability to do that. But understanding the principle is very important because if you start thinking like that, you begin to start looking for the possible opportunities that might come your way um, that could, or working with others to, to do that. So, and then the other thing for me was understanding certain areas. So we all know about things like stocks and shares. We all know about property. We all know that these are things that can help. But you begin to understand that not everybody who tells you they're an expert is an expert. So just becoming literate in these areas, and it's not that difficult with all the information out there on the internet or working, just becoming sensible enough to understand what these things are so that maybe you can have a better idea of who to ask for help or when you can make your own decisions. I think that's quite helpful in that way. Very good. Before we go into the wisdom, uh, of course, we met 
uh, both doing a, an online share trading course about 15 years ago. Uh, you, you went on to be much more sensible with money. I ended up losing a lot of money investing in Cyprus, which thank God you didn't uh, get too deeply involved in. But but it is interesting how we we try and learn how to, you know, as it were, become uh, financially independent. And I've got a long way to go to get there. But uh, what about the wisdom? What about the wisdom bit? Well, I, I think, you know, what, what you just said, Jonathan, is that if you are going to learn to do something in terms of, of, of finance, you, I read something where it said, you know, you, you can't go down this route expecting never to lose. Hopefully you just win more than you lose. And, and that's the reality. You know, I've heard it called a wealth wound. You are going to make mistakes and you, you can't really invest if you're, if you're going to be that scared. Of, of losing. So to a certain extent, it's being ready to accept that there may be losses. But on the other side, it's also being sensible enough to be able to limit those losses so that it does not take you out of the game. And, and that's absolutely crucial in that respect. I think the second area of wisdom for me, I talked to you about, um, uh, you know, meeting uh, a doctor who was involved in medicine, but also had a bigger purpose. And in many ways, you know, my, my Christian faith of having that greater sense that there is a, a bigger purpose to, to life and just direction um, and, you know, what, what your value is to, to others around, I think makes a big difference. Because if you see it in that context, you don't get caught up in this, this world of, well, it's all about my career and how great and if it's going well or it's not going well. Sometimes you think, look, sometimes life is going to take you in its twists and turns. Um, but, you know, in the, in the big picture, maybe it's all going to work out. Yeah, good, good wisdom. And, and if you were to pick a, a leader who you found inspiring that uh, you'd like to talk about and you think should be on the series, who, who would you recommend? You know... You can look back at, at, at different stages. I think right now, somebody I've been working with is a, a chap called Darren Grasby, who's the CEO of SKN. Uh, uh, Darren and I have worked together. I, I work from the medical perspective of, of the standards of, of the organization. He works on the commercial structure. But in a very difficult time of, I guess, when you think of the crash of 2008, uh, and what's been going on and now we've got the COVID scenario, you know, it, it, there's been a lot of changes, a lot of difficulties going on. And to take a, an organization where originally we had something like seven clinics across the country where we now have over a hundred clinics, but managing that with a team of a diverse group of whether you've got plastic surgeons, dermatologists, uh, general practitioners, nurses, uh, therapists, um, and moving that together, but trying to maintain a level of integrity um, and an ethical side that what we're providing is healthcare, um, but trying to work it within the context of a business. Um, I think that has, you know, I, I've admired that. And I've, what I've admired about Darren is that is again, willing to put the right people around him because it's one thing understanding that you might be great commercially, but it's also having the ability to respect the views of, of those medically and sometimes for medical reasons, you can't do something commercially uh, and vice versa. So it's really getting a team that works together. Yeah, that's great. And you were telling me about how um, 
during the start of COVID, you thought, I'll go and I'll go and work in the COVID environment. I'll go and help this. This is where the help is needed, which I have great respect for you that you put yourself in in such a risky situation to help others greatly in need. But that fits with your life calling and your and your faith, which I understand and, and respect massively. Talk to us about how COVID impacted you personally, both family and, and you with your, your four children. Uh, and also how you think the world's going to be with COVID going forward, your predictions of our lifestyle and viruses and vaccines and things like that. Just, just interesting your views, really. Well, let me tell you how, in some ways, naive I was. So in about February, early March, when, when we saw the COVID cases starting to build and it was becoming a reality of what was going on, um, in my hospital... Uh, remember, I'm a skin specialist as a dermatologist. So as a group of dermatologists, we were asked, um, would you be uh, interested in deploying to either the COVID wards, because we could see the number of cases were building in the hospital, or to the non-COVID wards? Now, as dermatologists, we had trained in, in general medicine, but remember, that was 20 years ago. So going back onto a ward was going to be different. And at the time, I think we all discussed it and we thought, you know, it'd be better to, to train further all into the COVID scenario, thinking we can get really good at handling the, our patients with coronavirus and be more useful and help our colleagues in infectious diseases and medicine. So we volunteered to go onto the COVID wards. And so when we went onto the wards, to be honest with you, at the time, I sort of thought, okay, this is gonna be different uh, and challenging. But, and I also sort of thought, well, you know, we'll, we'll probably get it, you know, going onto the wards, might as well just get it and get it over with. So went onto the wards and then just in about March, I don't know, many of us might remember, there was these new, on the news, almost every day you started seeing healthcare workers dying. There were, there were doctors, there were nurses, uh, there were, you know, people in care homes in terms of uh, healthcare workers. And suddenly it was a bit of a shock to the system. I had never in my medical career felt vulnerable that, you know, that I would get ill in that respect. And looking at that was the first time I suddenly thought, really? Could, could a, this virus actually, you know, affect me and potentially be fatal? And I think you could just sense across all of us in, in, in working in the healthcare environment that this reality was becoming um, real. So that changed everything a little bit, not in terms of how we're working, but the perception of it. So I remember, you know, in terms of uh, just, you, you'd go into the hospital, you would get into your scrubs and your masks, you, you'd get onto the wards. Every patient you were seeing was COVID positive you were trusting that, that your masks and your visors were, 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 you know, doing the job they were meant to do. I would get home and we had a, a little sort of little cottage outside there, outside our home. And I would literally go in there, get, get changed before even walking into the house. You could sense even from the, your family, you were worried about passing it on to them. And it was really a very unknown time. What I will say, 
on, on a really positive note was, you know, watching the whole teams of the hospital come together, whether it was the nurses, the doctors, the ancillary workers, porters, you know, was, was, was fantastic. And in many ways, again, as we moved forward and we got better and began to understand what treatments were, were better, we began to understand maybe what members of staff shouldn't be working on a COVID environment and which ones should. Um, you know, it, it, it changed and it got better. Um, in many ways, like everything in medicine, there's a level of respect. You, you, you come into a position unknown, you start developing a certain amount of knowledge about it, and you, you realize that the aspects that the government are playing with in terms of lockdown versus the economy, these are huge difficulties. And we all understand that areas but when I look at the impact of what's going on in terms of uh, society, people losing their jobs, it, it is huge. What I will say in terms of you said, where do I see COVID going? I think the, the positive areas are, you know, we are better prepared. We are aware of better treatments now. We are hoping that a vaccine will come into play. But the reality is we all want it now, but you've got to be ready to understand that it's going to may take it longer than we expect on the when i look at some of the things that have happened in the past with humanity the, the world wars you remember you look at the cities the way they were bombed and the destruction at that time you look at some of the other major pandemics of the past or, or illnesses the one thing i do see is you, you do see humanity come through it uh, you know, I was listening to on the radio this morning about New Zealand. They, they just had an All Blacks Australia match with 47,000 people at the match. You, you know, you can be sitting here in the, in the UK thinking, will we ever see that again? And I think that's really positive that, you know, there's parts of the world coming through this. So, you know, in many ways, my view is we still need to be cautious. We've got a lot of work to do. We still need to respect the, the consequences of this virus because the danger is that we all do become a little bit blase. You think, oh, well, we just got to get on with it. And the thing is, be sensible. And yes, I think we are going to see as we move forward a balance between getting back to some level of normality in terms of the way we go about our daily lives. But there's going to be a period where we have to continue taking these precautions. Yeah, yeah, very wise of us. And um, really just a sort of, Final, final few thoughts. Um, what would you like your legacy to be, Darren? What would you like your legacy to be, uh, both personally and, and at work? Yeah, you know, that, that's such a difficult question. In, in, in many ways, you know, you look at incredible people uh, around the world in terms of what they've achieved and, and what they've left. You know, I, I guess a, a legacy on a, on a personal level is, I kind of look back and think, well, you know, if there was a purpose to, to uh, just being able to share uh, my, my faith and confidence with others, that's one. But it's very much looking at, you know, your children that you think, well, I, I gave them the opportunity and the freedom to, to move on with their lives. And if you can just stand back at the end and, and see them getting on with things, that would be wonderful. From a professional perspective, um, you know, the, the privilege we have as physicians is we get to sit one-on-one -on -one with people or families and get to know 
them in a, in a quite an intimate way very quickly. And if all you've done is over a period of time, just made some impact on, on those who've crossed your path, you know, that would be great. Uh, I think from the laser perspective, I would love to think that some of the work that I have done has been, again, able to impact on certain people who may not have had the funding or ability to, to, to get that in the past and that we can continue to move more treatments as they become available within the context of the NHS. And that, that is a, a service that we'll be able to preserve and, and develop in the future. Yeah, and, and I do want to acknowledge that you have a lovely way with people. And I think the talent that you've developed over the years of listening well to people, uh, really empathizing with them, drawing out from them, being fascinated by the people that you meet, whatever their background, without any judgment. I, I find you're very non-judgmental about people and, and curious about people and curious about new things and, and trying things out. I, I just want to acknowledge that that is a skill that I think you've got, which you use well. And some, some in the medical profession have that skill. Uh, others are very technically good at what they do, but sometimes they don't read people the way you do. And I, I just want to acknowledge that. What about finally a book or a couple of books that you've found powerful in, in your life and that you'd recommend to people? Well, if I could just go back just before that to, to what you just said. I mean, the thing I think about people is that it's amazing. I, I can be sitting down in, in a consultation talking about, you know, a, a skin problem and I, I may, might make the diagnosis in five minutes, but what is fascinating with it in the context of, of meeting someone is you start listening to their lives and it is amazing. People from every walk of life uh, and background, they have a story and there is something that you will learn. And, and the, the insights you can get from, from someone that you, you know, you least expect, uh, I find fascinating. And I think whatever you do, if you are just interacting with people, in the context of what you do, that, that's one side of it. But don't be afraid to just get behind whatever it is. And it opens up a whole new world where it, it no longer seems like work. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and I, honestly, I, I think even if you're just a, uh, you're handling calls on a telephone to people, it, it, it's interesting. I think that comes out. And, and I've learned so much from, from people. Like I'll give you a very quick example. So, you know, we, we had a, a, a healthcare person in the room who didn't know much about lasers at all. And, and sometimes when I'm doing laser surgery, I might lift up my, my safety goggles to, to, to check that everything's okay. And then, and then I put it back down and fire the laser. And when she was in the room, when I lifted up my goggles, she lifted up her goggles. And it was, it was really interesting because we both suddenly realized the danger of what had happened because if I had put my goggles now not realizing what she had done, I could have fired a laser and caused great harm. And it was the, the concept of just both of us kind of immediately dawning on each other what had happened, her understanding, or not quite understanding the significance of, of what can happen if you fire a laser without goggles. And that then became a safety feature with it. I then went to lecture nationally on that explaining to massive rooms of doctors of listen how dangerous this simple thing can be uh, and you know and, and it's picking up that when, when you least expect it so again uh, just that idea that everybody you meet uh, has something and storing something unique and if you seek that out I find it really interesting. 
you are just before you go into the book i just want to pick up on that because it's so profound i read recently the book uh or listened to the audiobook because uh, my dyslexia i tend to listen to books more than read i can read but i find listening much more interesting and and it was called life is in the transitions i recommend it to you life is in the transitions and this person did a whole series of interviews with people and asking them about their life stories and he found it fascinating and that we have a major life transition on average every 18 months. So it could be a death or a change of job or birth of a child or somebody move, leaving home or whatever it might be. And that um, we think we'll get back to life after we've had that transition. But actually, the interesting part of your life is in the transition. That's when you learn the most about yourself, the high, the low, as we talked about. And I've started to ask people about their life story. And it's a real privilege. And they have told me things that I just... I just, you know, would not have known about. And, and obviously you hold those confidences because it's, it's during executive coaching and it's, or, or a conversation with someone, but just real respect for people. And who am I to judge anybody unless I've walked a mile in their shoes or understand a bit of their life? And I, I, it makes me somewhat disappointed with myself over the years that I've judged people without ever knowing their story. I don't know whether that resonates for you, Darren. Yeah, uh, yeah, very much so. And, uh, you know, you, you it, sometimes it, it will be, you know, a chance meeting. You, you got, you, you know, you, you, you're thinking, oh, I really can't be bothered going to this dinner tonight or whatever. You, you, you sit down at a table, somebody completely unknown sits next to you and suddenly it can be a life-changing conversation <laughs> that could take you in a completely different direction. Like, like talking to you on a course. Uh, about share options. Um, so finally, uh, your book choices and, and why you'd recommend them and what they are. Um, I, I think, you know, it, it, it's probably, when I look back, there's two books I, I would recommend. Uh, the first is a book by uh, Stephen Covey, which, you know, is very well known in terms of, um, the Seven Habits, but he wrote a second book called First Things First. And that book was the one that I found quite really interesting because it was about understanding what was the key in the important areas, what, what was valuable and important, and also beginning to understand how quickly we go to the unimportant and less valuable because it's, it's easy. It's easy to live in that world of of you know, and nothing's wrong with it in, in the right context. But sometimes when things are tough, we quickly go to, to, to certain activities or behaviors. So having read that at a, at a relatively young age, that kind of helped me to understand where what I was doing. So if I was doing something like just sitting there watching Netflix, that's fine if that's what I chose to do. But if I was doing it because I was just simply trying to avoid actually something important, at least I understood what I was doing. And then on the other side, it was again being understanding what was important and valuable because sometimes there's a lot of um, important things out there, but most of the times we're, we're firefighting in crises and it's always the urgent and important stuff that is dominating our time all the time. But it was understanding that if you can spend a little bit more time in the non-urgent but important areas and planning in those areas, that is the area that will absolutely change your life. And 
And if you read any of the wisdom literature, success literature over the years, they all keep on coming into that area. It's not, there's nothing new about that. There's nothing, you know, um, uh, in terms of, the, I, I'm saying anything that most of you probably wouldn't know already. But I think getting that deep inside so you understand where you are during your day can make all the difference as you move forward. Well, Darren Shugram, thank you very much indeed. As always, I knew you'd be inspiring. And also that humility and the humanity and a bit of sense of fun, uh, as well as a clear sense of purpose. So really lovely having you on the series. Thank you, Darren. Thank you. So now you've heard from one of the inspiring leaders that I've interviewed, what are you gonna do next? If you want to get some more free material, go to my website, jonathanperks.com, or follow me on LinkedIn, Jonathan Bowman Perks. And there you can get access to my books, uh, Inspiring Leadership and Top Tips for Inspiring Leaders. But if you want to actually do something about being a leader and constantly improving your game, raising your performance, get in touch with me about coaching you or one of your team that you want to raise the game for them. It's got to be people who want to be good to great, not people who you're trying to fire. And if you're looking for a motivational speaker, get in touch. Or if you want me to work with your team coach, I would be delighted to help you. 